What is up, everybody? Jeffrey Lyles, Lyles Movie Files here. Yesterday, we got the drop of the Snake Eyes teaser trailer, and I watched it. I was cautiously optimistic through every step of the phase of this deal because I desperately, desperately want a great G.I. Joe movie. I'm not sure this is it. Just based off that, what, one minute trailer, I'm concerned that this is another attempt to do G.I. Joe and not really understand what G.I. Joe is all about. Sunday marked the culmination of a very cool Jojo week for me. I was able to track down the Jojo classified series major blood figure. I went all around. I went to like five or six different targets over the weekend. Finally found one and very happy to get him. He looks great. I'll have the review up on the site shortly. And I also read Batman Fortnite Zero Point and this issue three, which will be out in comic book stores tomorrow, features Batman versus Snake Eyes, and it delivered. And so I was really excited when we got the news that, hey, we're going to get this Snake Eyes teaser trailer. And when I watched it, I'm like, gosh, why can't you guys just do this thing right? Snake Eyes is a mute ninja. And I know that the name of the movie is Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins. So we're going to get the origin point of Snake Eyes. But I'm watching this trailer, and I'm thinking, there's nothing here that makes me think Snake Eyes looking at it and it kind of gave me that feel or flavor of a black panther trailer where we got the cool car chase scene we've got some action and it looks good i mean it, it did it looked good it looked like a really good action movie but it didn't look like a good snake eyes movie we saw baroness we, we saw scarlet but there was nothing in it that just kind of rang true as like oh man this time they want to get gi joe right and I don't understand, there's so many properties that we see, and we've seen this throughout the years, we've seen the DC films kind of struggle to figure out what the heck they want to do with their identity, how they want to tell their stories, they want to go dark, they want to go funny, happy, cheery-go-lucky, whoever, you know, they don't know. So it's just a mess, and it's very inconsistent. We've seen a franchise like The Fast and Furious kind of figure it out as they go, no, nah, we're not going to focus on street racing. We're going to take these street racing characters and make them action heroes. And it's turned into one of the biggest franchises of all time. And of course, we've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe where they're like, there's some really good comic book stories in here. And if we adapt them to modern audiences, maybe there's an opportunity to tell a really good connected story. And that's resulted in the biggest franchise going today. So it's confusing to me when you see properties like Transformers, you see properties like G.I. Joe, where they've got all the ingredients to tell these really original, cool, franchise-worthy properties and not do justice and, and not be able to do much with it. Now, the Transformers, they've cranked out some crappy movies and they've managed to do well at the block, at the box office but I don't know how many Transformer fans feel, feel really great about those Transformer films. I've lost track of how many there are. I think Bumblebee's first 15 minutes was probably the only time I was excited watching a live action Transformers movie. 
because it was a live action Transformers movie that had that tone, the feel, the look of the cartoons and toys that I watched and grew up with. And not to say that, oh, you got to just stick to what existed in the 80s. But I think a property that existed in the 80s that people still love in 2021 matters. I'm like, you can go to a Target store right now. You can go to Walmart, maybe. And you can see those classic 1984, 1985 designs of the Autobots and Decepticons. You'll see those crappy Bayformer designs that just have way too much to show you every panel and how it transforms. But the fact of the matter is, what sustains, what endures, is those old school designs, those that old school approach to these characters. I was, I guess like a lot of kids who were born in the 70s and really came into caring about pop culture stuff in the 80s, a fan of cartoons, right? So I, I grew up watching all these cartoons. My real exposure to Superman, Batman, Spider-Man was not from the comic books, but from the Saturday morning and weekday cartoons. Super Friends, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. It was years later before I knew anything about these characters. Like I assumed Iceman and Firestar were Spider-Man's best friends. And I find out they have very little connection to him whatsoever, right? Super Friends, I'm, I'm like, hey, where's Black Vulcan and Samurai? Where are these guys in the comic books? I had no knowledge of these guys, right? outside of the cartoons. My gateway into comic books was G.I. Joe, a real American hero put out by Larry Hama in Marvel Comics, right? And that was a comic I went to every 7-Eleven faithfully every month to get the new issue because I was hooked. It was right around the time the toy line came out and they started cranking out the cartoons, little mini series specials, but I was all in with G.I. Joe. And it is probably the one property that has not just, they, they just haven't done it right. We've seen all these various iterations. We've seen cartoons sort of kind of get it right. We've seen rougher, edgier versions like the Warren Ellis retaliation. And it was okay, but it was, no, I'm sorry, Judge or Resolute. It was okay, but it just felt like, eh, we're trying too hard. We don't have to do that with Jajo. Jajo is really simple and really easy. And over the years, I have watched Jajo movies like The Rise of Cobra, which I just felt like no one knew anything about Jajo when they put that movie together. I just felt like they grabbed a couple of character names and were like, okay, you guys are in the movie and let's try to sell some toys. And it sucked. It was awful. I just feel like they didn't understand how easy Jajo is to do in a live action format. It's so easy that the Transformers movies do a better job of doing G.I. Joe than the G.I. Joe movies. Like Josh Duhamel, I mentioned this before in the last episode, the Tyrese, Josh Duhamel segments of Transformers actually feel like G.I. Joe. And I watch a lot of action movies. I watch movies like Aliens and Predator, and I'm envisioning actual G.I. Joes in these characters' places. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's Flint. That's the Duke character. Oh yeah, this guy's Stalker. I mean, it's, it's so easy to place Joes in these settings. And I don't understand why it's so hard for Hollywood producers to not understand G.I. Joe is so inherently easy. G.I. Joe Retaliation... 
I mean, by default, is the best live action or even modern take on G.I. Joe that worked. But I felt like even then, they took so much time to not do G.I. Joe right. They made Roadblock the leader, and, and Roadblock is played by The Rock, and it's just like, eh, okay. I mean, maybe we could find a, a, a brown skin guy to be Roadblock. And they've got Flint, but for whatever reason, he can't even wear a black t black shirt and a beret. It's just like, dude, these are easy things. Lady J can't wear a green jumpsuit. A green jumpsuit. I mean, it's not like she has to wear a superhero costume with a cape, and we have to make it look realistic for the camera. She wears a green jumpsuit, and they, they just miss easy things that would have really had the full Jajo flavor, feel, and look. It comes the closest, but I mean, again, that's such a low bar, you wouldn't even trip over it. And I just felt like, okay, I guess we're just going to have to get what we get with this Snake Eyes film. I didn't, I didn't like the casting of Henry Golding. I think Golding is a really good actor. He was really fun in Crazy Rich, Rich Asians. I thought he did as best as anyone possibly could with Last Christmas because it was just a trash movie. But I'm like, he, if he's Snake Eyes, you're wasting this dude in this role. Henry Golding is an attractive dude. I mean, I'm sure he's a guy that would get a lot of people to come to theaters just because of like the classic movie star look he's got. And I'm like, why would you make him Snake Eyes? Who was the character after this origin movie? We should never see his face unless it's a mask of what he used to look like. And I'm just like, ah. I mean, he could have been basically any other Joe character outside of like Stalker and Roadblock. He would have worked as any character and he would have been just fine. And I'm like, that's great that you want to be more diverse and have Snake Eyes not be a blonde guy. But it misses the entire point of Snake Eyes who's going to be a masked man with a scarred face. So making the Asian guy scarred and deformed doesn't quite have the same impact. It's, it's like, okay, this is whack diversity. But more on that in a second. So I've got this, and I'm and I'm trying to work up this, like, okay, I'm seeing the casting. Scarlet's played by Samara Weaving. She looks the part. We've got a Baroness who kind of looks like Baroness minus the short haircut. And this is origin, so I guess she can grow her hair out longer when she's part of Cobra. But I'm like, okay. And we got Storm Shadow, and yeah, that's great. But I watched that trailer, and I'm just like, why do y'all make this so hard? This this is easy, easy stuff. I just feel like Larry Hama wrote a really easy, really obvious way to go with a movie. And it's not a simple case of, hey, how do we do this? It's, it's just really basic. He set up a easy follow, easy to replicate on the big screen story. In the comics, the origin of Snake Eyes is really simple. He is a twin, and he goes into the Vietnam War. And this is because G.I. Joe occurred, you know, when Larry Hammer first started writing it back in the 80s. So he was a Vietnam vet, and he was in the war with Stalker and Tommy Arashikagi, who we would later know to be Storm Shadow. During the war, he and Tommy got close. Tommy was like, hey, you can after the war is all done or whatever, why don't you come join my family business? Learn later the family business is a ninja clan. Snake Eyes doesn't care because his sister's dead and he's, he's directionless. He has no 
no point, no no kind of guidance or anything. So he's like, all right, let me go ahead and do this ninja thing. And he's really good at it. And unlike Tommy, he doesn't feel the need to kill. And he just hones his skills. And it turns out Tommy's uncles are like, you know what? This guy's better suited to lead the Rashikagi clan going forward. Because Tommy, he's a little bit rough on those edges. And he may kill people. And that edge was just enough to show, like, okay, this creates a little friction, a little rivalry. And this is further sets up, hey, this is how we can get these guys to be on opposite sides on the G.I. Joe Cobra battle. And it all makes sense. Snake Eyes then leaves the Rashikagi clan after a tragedy. Then he kind of becomes a hermit in the woods. Stalker, along with Hawk, recruit him to join the G.I. Joe team. Where he's like, all right, whatever, sure. One of the very early missions, he's helping Scarlet, who got trapped in a helicopter. And they're just about to jump out, get to safety before the crashes, before the helicopters crash. There's a ignition and flames punch through the helicopter. They tear through Snake Eyes' face and they basically render him mute. And his face is hideously deformed. So from that point on, He's wearing a mask. And then he's the black clad ninja commando that we all know and love. It's a simple, really basic origin story. I don't see anything wrong with telling that story on the big screen. You can advance it and make it modern. Snake Eyes, Stalker, Tommy are all Desert Storm vets. Or they're over in Afghanistan, you know, defending against the quote unquote evildoers something happens i mean there, there's you can make that applicable to modern times really easy they're there they're fighting something happens they come back and everything's all right the sister dies he still goes off to the join the rashikagi clan becomes a ninja he has it split with storm shadow joins the joes and then i mean it's just i don't know <laughs> i feel like this is so easy it's way too easy to make so complicated where it's all right well he's got an edge he's got this dark past and he's joining a ninja clan i just feel like you're missing the important elements of that bond that they formed in the war you're missing that and this is from just from the trailer so maybe we've got the war scene coming but i do not think so i just think it's going to be we're just going to set it maybe japan and just have that be the entire focus of the film, where it's just like a samurai with guns kind of movie. And I feel like, okay, that that's one way to go with it, but you're missing the nuances of the character of Snake Eyes when you just focus on, hey, he's a ninja. And this is a problem that later on Larry Hama started to have, where it was just like, all right, every ninja, Snake Eyes here, ninja action. And I like that ninja commando aspect of the character, which was really good for like the first, 80 issues of G.I. Joe before they get really ninja heavy. So I was just thinking, gosh, this this is not going to be the G.I. Joe film that launches this next live action G.I. Joe universe. I feel like this is going to be another case where it's like nobody asked for this origin. This is the one character we didn't need an origin film for if you're not going to do what made it special. I think this is a case where G.I. Joe fans aren't going to be thrilled and happy with the final product. And it's just going to be 
a regular action movie to people who aren't G.I. Joe fans. I've always felt like if you've got your ready-made audience, cater to them, do your property right. You saw that with the Marvel films. They didn't worry about, okay, how are we going to get all these mainstream people to care about Captain America and Thor and Iron Man? They're just like, listen, let's just focus. Let's get the core elements of these characters. Tony Stark, arm dealer, gets hurt, gets shrapnel in his heart, becomes Iron Man, and then he just deals with it. And then that simple formula, which was the formula from the comic books, it worked. And it translated to a mega gazillion dollar franchise. I mean, everything they did with those films with Hulk, Thor, and Captain America was basically just following the letter of the law of the comics that preceded them. I don't understand why that's so hard with something like G.I. Joe, where you've got a you've got a writer who has literally written close to two hundred issues, if not more. I don't even know where Larry Hammond is right now with the Joe book. I'm still reading it. It's still fun to read. You've got a invaluable resource and you've got tons of trades that Larry Hammer wrote that explains the best way to do a G.I. Joe. And I was like, they're not going to do this right. This live action universe is going to fail spectacularly one more time. And I'm going to be disappointed again. And I was thinking, how long will it be before we get another G.I. Joe revival? And will this capsize the likelihood of getting more G.I. Joe classified series figures? Because this movie's not going to set the new golden era of Joe figure collecting. I'm already worried about that, but that's, that's for later on. So I started thinking, how then can you salvage G.I. Joe? How can you make it work? And I thought about the Amazon series Invincible. Robert Kirkman, Corey Walker, Ryan Ollie. Great book from Image Comics. It got a show on Amazon Prime, and I was blown away how faithful to the comic it was. I was like, wait, this is possible? You can do something exactly like the comic book? I mean, I, was, I just thought there was some rule that Hollywood screenwriters, Hollywood producers just wouldn't go, why don't we just do with what was done already? It just, it seemed too simple, too easy. And Invincible's like, nah, let's just do it, what's already here. Let's do what worked. And this show worked so well. It's so good. And they had eight episodes, and I was like, I want more right away. And being faithful to a comic book series would just, I mean, do so much. One of the things that always frustrated me with the X-Men and the animated series was how random they used stories from the comic. It, they just grab characters like a little kid reaching into a bag like ooh okay let's pull this out and I just felt like man these were these were good enough but if they had just done a series maybe even starting from like the Deadly Genesis era of X-Men when Chris when Chris Claremont's about to leave and they just focus on extension agenda and those kind of storylines it would have been so cool I mean like really a great series or it would have been a great series. I've always thought the, com the cartoon series is okay, but it really could have been a lot better. And if somebody went really hard and were just like, yo, let's just go back through the start of the Chris Claremont era where he's with Dave Cockrum and John Byrne, that'd be the greatest show ever because those are some of the absolute best stories we've ever seen from comic books that run, 
that Claremont and Byrne did um, up to Days of Future Past, you could mine that for like four seasons of a cartoon series, and it would be epic. And you could keep going, but that would be amazing. Like, you just there would be so much if you just took that. John Byrne's Fantastic Four, same deal. Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes was a great cartoon because they basically were like, hey, let's just do what Stanley and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko did here. Or not Ditko, but Kirby and, and Lee. And let's use these stories for a cartoon. And there were so many stories where it was just like, wow, they were really just taking straight for the comic. This is awesome. The second season of Fantastic Four also did the same thing where it was just like, let's use the comic book material for our show. Second season's one of my all-time favorites. It's I think it's criminally underrated because of how good it is and how well it matches up with the comic source material. So let's see, like, all right, well, why can't we just do the same thing with G.I. Joe? Larry Hama wrote great comic stories that did not dumb it down for kids. It treated it like an adult property, and it was so great, like, really great. So I'm thinking, all right, if they're not going to do it, I'm going to propose this pitch to Amazon. Let's do a G.I. Joe cartoon series. Let's just base the first season. I'm going to be greedy, ask for 13 episodes. I'm going to take the first two volumes of G.I. Joe and put it together. So let's see how it works out right after this. All right, the first thing I'm doing, I'm just going through the comics. And I'm making those stories my episodes. So my first episode is going to focus on Operation Lady Doomsday. And that's our introduction to the Joe team. And we see this crack unit rescuing a hostage that Cobra has. And that's all I'm doing for my first issue. The second episode is issue two and three. I'm combining those into one episode. Issue two features Stalker, Breaker, Snake Eyes, Scarlet. It's, it's great because it splits up the team, right? So I've got them split up. They are in the Alaskan Pipeline. And they are tracking down a Cobra Courier. And this is their first encounter with the mercenary Quinn. And this is where we're going to find him. He's going to be an important character through our first season. And they're going to fight. And they're going to do their deal. And meanwhile, while this is going on, the rest of the Joes are dealing with Cobra Commander trying to find out where the heck the pit, Jojo's headquarters is. So he's going to launch a robot with drones that he's trying to get to the top. And the rest of the Joes who are at the base are just going to try to stop this robot from transmitting its location. And this is going to show the cool location of the pit, all the cool features in it. Stalker and Starlet, Scarlet and Breaker do appear in this issue, but I'm just going to send them off to the Arctic while they're handling their mission and taking care of that. My next episode, episode three, is going to show Grunt Hawk and Snake Eyes infiltrating a Cobra base, Operation Winfield. This is based off of issue four. And they're going to figure out how far Cobra's reaches are into like different groups. And this is kind of like a paramilitary group where they're training Cobra recruits, which I think would be kind of cool to show them infiltrating Seahawk in action because you know, in the cartoon, we didn't get to Seahawk early on. He got upstage immediately by Duke, who didn't come into the comic until much later. And this puts Hawk in action. And let's just see that he is actually the main dude, main leader for G.I. Joe. So that's episode four. We're rolling here. And then I'm advancing a little bit through 
The next issue is the tanks for the memories. We don't need to focus on tanks. It's fun, but we don't need it. One other thing, uh, we need a consistent art style. Early G.I. Joes had good art, but there is one definitive artist to me with G.I. Joe, and that's Rod Wiggum. Do it in his style. It'll look classic. It'll look good. It'll look timeless. And it'll look amazing. So we got all that. Then I'm skipping ahead again. And then our next episode is going to be like a two-parter. We're going to introduce the October Guard. This is the Russian equivalent of G.I. Joe. And they're both going to be working together and against each other to take out Cobra. This is important because we introduce the notion that, hey, the world is also not just sitting back and hanging loose while America has a special, unique fighting force. And then the October Guard was just cool. So we put them in the mix early, introduce them, show what they're about, and then just roll with it. And it's it's a it's one of my favorite issues of G.I. Joe. There's two parts in that. It's so cool because the Joes are going at it with these guys who are just like them. And Stalker gets to take the forefront in this as a team leader. Hawk's hanging back. And it's really cool. It's a lot of action. And, and we're seeing like, hey, this is what it looks like on the other side where Russia handles this stuff. Next up, we got the diplomat. And this is where we start to introduce the notion of a small little town called Springfield. And this is where we're going to see that Cobra has far-reaching clutches beyond what anybody knows. Because they've got a, basically a whole town that's working in complete awareness that they are part of Cobra. And the rest of the world is clueless that this small little town exists. So this one, we've got Cobra Commander setting up a diplomat to go do this mission. And basically, the Joes are kind of like, all right, let's do this thing. We got to take them out. So this leads to them going to Springfield, and then they realize, hey, not, not everything's on up and up here. The Joes then encounter this kid named Billy, but not before we meet Doctor Venom, who is a scientist, creepy, and he has a brainwave scanner, and this is what he's going to use to tap into Snake Eyes' mind. I've really tried to not make Snake Eyes the main focus of the series because there's so many other cooler, not other cooler, but they're cool Joes who kind of get shortchanged early on. There's Stalker, of course, Scarlet, Clutch. Clutch is one of my favorite Joes who is like the Guy Gardner of the Joes before Guy Gardner. He was kind of brash, a little sexist, but he felt like a real character because he had so much personality. And Breaker was kind of like his best friend. You chewed gum. If you watched Jai Joe Rise of Cobra, that was where that was from. But Breaker was a communications expert, and he was just cool. He was like a country dude. Did his thing. But some of these Joes kind of get neglected because they don't have the cool outfits as the newer Joes as they continue to progress. But I'd focus on him. Those guys and give them a little bit more spotlight. So next up, we are going to go over onto the next volume. And then we're going to introduce the next wave of joes and this is going to be like by episode five or six and we're introducing gung-ho doc Snowjob, airborne wild bill on a mission where we keep to the shadows this mysteriously silver mask clad cobra operative destro but we're never going to see the entire episode and we're going to keep him hitting just like larry hammond did in the comic and he's just going to be operating in the shadows and trying to stop cobra for this case that quinn helped earlier on 
So early on, all this G.I. Joe stuff was connected, tied up into things. And he just keeps building. So like the first at least 100 issues of G.I. Joe, there's a real thread connecting all these subplots and storylines. And it's really intricate. And once you start into it, it's, it tells a cohesive story. Sometimes they're one-off issues, but for the most part, it's an ongoing story that builds and builds and builds. So then we've got this issue, or Stalker issue 12, Stalker, Gung-Ho, Breaker, and Snake Eyes. It was a really common to use Snake Eyes, Breaker, Stalker. These are kind of Larry Hamlin's favorite characters going on, and Gung-Ho quickly got into that mix. So he throws them in, they're going to Sierra Gordo, and they are tracking down this Cobra Courier, Scarface, and once again, they're running into Quinn and Dr. Venom. These guys are very prominent characters early on in G.I. Joe. Snake Eyes, Dr. Venom, and Quinn get locked in a bunker. The Baroness bombs. It's a lot of stuff happening. A lot of things. Now we're separated Snake Eyes from the rest of the Joes, and they're doing their thing, and they have to get back and escape to get with the rest of the crew. And everybody thinks, oh man, Snake Eyes is dead. But this is just the start of our fun. So we're at the midway point now of our season. We got our full introduction of Destro, and he's trying to immediately establish, like, hey, Baroness, whose side are you on? My undercover commanders. So we got this semi-sort of sort of love triangle, but it's more of like a power control, like, hey, whoever Baroness backs is really going to be the force in Cobra. And Destro right now isn't quite the honorable guy that we've come to expect in all this, but he does look out for Baroness, and because of that. He kind of finds himself protecting Cobra Commander. Now we're moving on to issue 16. And this is like our episode 8 or 9 or whatever. And we're just going to jump in. We introduce Cover Girl, Torpedo, Tripwire as Cobra Commander. He's figured out, hey, this Destro dude is going to be a real problem if I don't deal with him early. I need to bring in my favorite assassin, Major Blood, as we attack the White House and the Capitol and really try to throw the Joes off. Again, all of this is leading to this big virus that they are planning to infect with everybody so they can figure out where the heck the Joe's headquarters is. Major plot. Cobra, for the first season, Cobra wants to find out why the Joe's are based and headquartered so he can destroy them while they're sleeping. And the Joe's are like, whatever we need to do, we need to do it so we can stop. So, Joe's fight them off, but... Major Blood is going to kill Destro, and then Baroness ends up stopping him, crashes herself and Blood in his hiss tank. Maybe she's dead, maybe she's not. And Cobra Commander is facing off with Hawk, and he's got an opportunity to shoot Destro or Hawk. It's like, all right, let me kill, let me kill the dude who's the leader of the Joes. And it's just there's so many cool angles to this because Cobra Commander is clearly divided with his loyalties he's not sure if he can trust Destro who probably shouldn't at this point Hawk is the hero hero of the Joes and Major Blood proves to be a really despicable character right away and Major Blood is a great character so it just works out awesome and then we're going we're building the entire season finale the Joes have tracked down Scarface and Snake Eyes, Quinn, Dr. Venom fall into finding Scarface at the same time that Destro has tracked down Scarface. The Joes have also figured out the Snake Eyes is still alive. We gotta hurry up and get the Snake Eyes before Cobra does. They're too late. 
Cobra takes them. And now they're like, we have figured out how to get to the pit because we have now put Scarface into Joe custody. He's gonna he's gonna direct us exactly to this headquarters. We're gonna invade. It's our big season finale episode. Is Cobra attacking the pit? But the the best part about this is Cobra thinks they found it. The Joes work overtime to build a fake fortress, which was actually the Jajo toy headquarters. Just like really clever. It was a way to work in the toy base with the requirements of <laughs> what we could get in, in the comic book with a real headquarters with living quarters and all this stuff. So the pit gets destroyed. The, the, the facade version that's on top of the actual pit, but not without some major casualties on both sides. And because I want to make this a little bit more like anything that happens to the Joes, I'm going to actually kill off some Joes instead of just the regular side characters that were introduced solely for the point of getting killed off so i'm thinking let's kill off some characters like short fuse grand slam characters who in the grand scheme of things don't matter as much and we can kill them off without anyone being like oh man it's my favorite joke we can kill them show that hey cobra means business and there are some actual consequences to what the joes do so the joes are celebrating this and it's like oh man this is terrible. We've lost some of our members and Cobra has also lost a few members and the way they're treated is way worse. Um, so then we've got this ending where they're kind of licking their wounds and that's like our original post credit scene, right? But now it's time because, you know, long time Joe fans know what has to come next. So I'm envisioning Scarlet is about to go on her annual flight. She's chatting up Wild Bill and Airborne, and she goes off into her chute, and she heads out, and she leaps into the sky. And then Wild Bill Airborne are like, uh, we don't see Scarlet's parachute. And then the Joe headquarters, Breaker, Hawk, are scrambling, trying to figure out what the heck is happening, where Scarlet Snake Eyes overhears and turns. And then I am gradually dropping the sound throughout this exchange so we're just going all the sound is fading out we're going to silence and snake eyes hears this and turns grabs his bag and it's complete silence and the very last shot we see of season one is scarlet being kidnapped by storm shadow heading off to a castle in the sky that's season one right season two here are just the real brief highlights because, you know, why spoil all of it for you? We introduce Storm Shadow. We have the silent issue tribute right away to kick off season two. We introduce more Joes, Roblox, Duke, Nail, Mutt, Junkyard, Zartan, Firefly, the Dreadnoughts, and Wild Weasel. We throw in that cool Sky Striker fight with Baroness, Wild Weasel, Lady J in the mix. We have another fight where the Joes are desperately going after. Uh, they're trying to capture Cobra Commander. Sorry, no skyscraper, no sky striker fight yet. The, we get the big capture Cobra Commander, and and of course we culminate this with the origin of Snake Eyes to explain how all this stuff comes together, how him and Storm Shadow are connected so close and tightly, and then 
what's going to happen next. So there's so many different things that they could do with the Jaja series if they just literally took the volumes that Marvel and then IDW put together and were like, hey, let's do this. They can make that work really simple, really easily, make a simple to follow animated Jaja series because, again, I don't think that they could survive and do a live action anything with Jaja after Jaja Origins Snake Eyes film. So we'll see what happens. That was a lot of me rambling. I was just so frustrated because I just feel like Jaja deserves better. It's an easy property to do. If someone could actually take the time and effort to make this into a live action series and put a little money into it, it would be awesome. It'd be like a 24 series. I mean, there's so many shows. We've seen Strike Back. We've seen 24. It's possible to do a live action show like G.I. Joe and do it right. You know, you just, especially early on, you didn't have to do so much of the fantastic vehicles and all that. But, jeez, I don't know why you would do a G.I. Joe and not do those. That's why I say cartoon, because there's no budget restrictions that shows we can't do a his tank, a Wolverine, etc. So that's it. That's me. Um, that's my thoughts on this trailer, this teaser trailer that left me so cold. It's like, oh, no, they're going to mess it up again. I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. Are y'all excited about the Snake Eyes film? Are you more or less excited after you saw it? And what do you hope to see from this? And I'll be back regular time with the fellas breaking down another round of crazy stuff going on in Hollywood, including this AT&T Discover merger explosion and all that good stuff. For now, that's it. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a good one. This episode of Files Movie Files has been filed.